As they make their way downstairs, would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5? And actually, 1 John chapter 4, we'll, we'll get a running start. I wanted to invite you this evening to join us at 6 o'clock for just a, a brief time of uh, prayer with one another, um, calling it a prayer fellowship. Only because I grew up with prayer meetings, I got tired of it, so we're used to calling it prayer fellowship. Come and join us. Pretty simple time together. We're just going to pray. Uh, nothing, nothing fancy. Uh, we're not going to have the fog, fog and the, the lights out. We're just going to pray, and we're going to trust that the Lord's going to hear our prayers. So plan on joining us this evening, 6 o'clock. Um, say, Curtis, I, I threw something on that on that projection, can just for a quick review, we've been looking through these these chapters, uh, these, these closing chapters of chap of chap of First John, and then we're going to be moving to the fifth chapter this morning. And we titled this series. This is the third week, um, and I shortened each of these to just basic general principles on the basis of loving one another. And these are the principles that we have. And this is all we have is just a review, and then, then you have to just listen. You can't, you can't read as well. But we love one another because of who we are. Remember, uh, John writes in verses 7 and 8 that we are born of God. As a result of that, we love one another. We love one another because of how God loves us, that, that God manifested his love among us and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, we love one another because we are assured of God's love for us. And we spent some time on that last week. And, and, and for me, that's one of the, the more, the, the, the more for, for me personally, it, it's such a rich principle in that not only am I assured of God's love toward me and that he demonstrated his love that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, that I can read about it, I can see it, I can acknowledge it, but by God's spirit, that same spirit that is, the, is referred to as the spirit of adoption, as speak, Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 8, this spirit of adosh, adoption bears witness with our hearts that we are children of God. So we love one another because God giving us his spirit, has assured our hearts that we are truly loved. It's not just an outward example, not just an outward affirmation, but an inward conviction of the spirit that we are loved of God. And that then invokes our love toward another. This relationship vertically will always affect the relationship horizontally, and always in that order. Um, we love one another uh, because our because our future of our future hope and I I like I like this and I want to just read those verses beginning in verse number seventeen and then we'll move into our final point but verse number seventeen says by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. One of the ways of looking, that statement, looking at that statement is, because as he is, so are we in this world, it would be in seeing as Christ is, as Christ is loved by the Father, so are we in the world. 
In other words, our union with Christ is what establishes our love relationship with the Father. He loves us because he has united us with his Son. Our standing, our right standing before God, the Father, is because we have been united with his Son, Jesus Christ. Everything about the Christian life is focused and centered upon and grounded, founded upon our union with Christ. We love one another because we have overcome the world. Forget that last italics, what relation does the Christian have with the law? We'll get to that in just a minute. But we love one another because we have overcome the world. We've not talked about that yet. That's what we'll talk about this morning. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read uh, the passage of Scripture beginning in verse number, um, beginning back in chapter number 4, and uh, beginning in verse number 19, and then we will read to verse number 5 of chapter 5, and then we'll pray together asking the Lord's help. Verse number 19, 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Now if anyone says that I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help as we, by the aid of his Spirit, unwrap this passage of Scripture. Father, we are thankful for the body of Christ. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather together as a corporate body, as saints, as children who are born of God, as we assemble together, even as we look into your word, we pray that you would use your word to address the hearts that are present today, the lives of the folks that are here today. And I pray that you would accomplish your purpose in each of our hearts, each of our lives, to transform us into the likeness of your Son. Father, teach us to love one another, to truly, genuinely love one another with a godly love. Teach us to love one another in such a way that the world would look and say, oh my, how they love one another. Truly, they are 
the disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, as we, um, as we look into this text. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it and to live obediently accordingly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the joys that you bring to my heart is um, being able to see the Lord's hand uh, upon your lives and to see the things that he's doing in you personally, seeing the things that you're doing in you corporately, in your, in particularly as we study through this portion of the gospel of, of the letter of 1 John, as John has emphasized the loving of one another, the saints to one another, which I just remind you, this letter, the Bible is written, and especially in this part, it is written specifically to those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So it is meant for those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the joy of my heart is to see God's faithfulness in working in the lives and the hearts of his people. I'm very grateful and thankful that he continues to work in my heart and he brings about the changes and the, 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 uh, the detours of my life that is so necessary, but to see it taking place in your life has been so rich. And even in this last week, it has been such an encouragement to see you faithfully loving one another. I've had opportunity to watch that in in action and to see it practiced among you. And I am so very, very grateful beyond measure for the sacrifice that you make for one another. You are a blessing to my heart. As a fellow sheep speaking to sheep, I'm telling you, I was gonna say bah, but uh, I'm telling you, <laughs> telling you, praise be to God and, and, and uh, we are thankful for his faithfulness um, toward his people in applying his word to our lives. Um, when, we, when we come to verse number 19 of, of chapter 4, John is, is continuing in this, this um, principle of, of those who are born of God love one another. And this, this section here speaks about the saints um, being overcomers. We have overcome the world. And, and he gets to that by, by moving along with some general ideas or general principles that are, are, are logical principles in reason and thought that helps us to understand, I, I think it helps us to understand all that takes place in the inner workings of God's spirit in the heart of his people. He is ever working in our lives. And I'm so very thankful that God didn't just save us, bring us to salvation, and say, okay, there, now have at it, I'll see you when I return, or I'll see you when you die. But God is faithful to continue his life work, his grace work, his cross work in each one of us in a, in a process that we call sanctification, that he is, he is building us up, he is teaching us, he is pruning us, he is chastening us. He is working actively in our lives. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But then he moves on. It's in Romans 8, 28. Verse number 29 says that his purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. 
So the idea there is, is very, very clear for us to understand in that God is constantly working and molding us to look just like Jesus. That's the Christian life. It is Christ in us, this hope that we have of glory. God working. And sometimes that molding and that, that shaping requires um, uh, a hammer and a chisel. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes our greatest growth comes through the, through, the, through the darkest and the hardest times in life. But that is God's faithfulness toward us. That is God's goodness toward us. And for that, we give him thanks. And so there is, there is always, God is ever working within our hearts and within our lives. And I think in this passage of scripture, he reveals, or he, he reveals to us, what, what God has done and what he continues to do. In verses 19 through the end of the chapter, the, John's statement is very clear and is very reasonable in his, in his reasoning. Uh, the inability or the unwillingness to love your brother who is flesh and blood right before you. If there is, if there is an, an inability to truly love your brother in Christ, it exposes Perhaps, perhaps a counterfeit nature of your professed love for God. Now, I, I do find it interesting that throughout this entire text, John does not spell out what, specifically what it looks like to love one another. The closest he gets is he points us to Jesus. He doesn't say, well, if you really love one another well, then you will always have them in your home and you will exercise hospitality. Now, Paul talks about that, but Paul, John doesn't. He doesn't spell these things out. If you really love one another, you will always hug one another. If you really love one another, you will greet one another with a holy kiss. If you really love one another, then you would shake hands with in a hearty way. If you really love one another, then you would say lovey things to one another. If you really love one another, you would express it by saying, I love you. No, he doesn't have to spell any of those things out. He simply says, love one another. Here's the example. It's Jesus. God expressed his love by sending forth Jesus. And you can draw from that what the principles of what it means to love one another. You can kind of shut that off now if you'd like. And even if you don't. Um, but he says, here's the basic, the basic of what loving one another looks like. Look to, look to Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. There's not a, there's not a checklist because we can... We can check off the list of what, we, what it means to love one another, and we can feel good about ourselves but not really love one another. We just checked off the list, right? So, so, he, so these things that he says here is, is very clear in that, in that if we're going to truly profess, if we, if we are going to profess our love for God, then it will be expressed in how we love one another. He is bold in that he calls such a one a liar, Especially because he earlier wrote in chapter 2 that who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So John's argument here is that true love for God is a result of being born again. It's because of who you are. And outside of regeneration, that, that's another word for being born again. Outside of regeneration, you cannot, you can, you not only cannot love God, 
but also you will, will not love God. Not only are you incapable of loving God, you are unwilling to love God. Because loving God, and we understand, and we believe the Bible is very clear that when a man is born, he is born in sin. And that our sin, our sinful condition that is, is a part of, is, is who we are, it is hostile toward God. We are at enmity against God, and we hate God. That is who we are by nature before Jesus Christ. So a man who is in the flesh, who is outside of Christ, is not only incapable of truly loving God, but he is unwilling to truly love God. There is no desire to love God. I mean, truly love, love God. And so John is arguing that in order for the human heart to love God, he must be given a new heart from God that is no longer at enmity with him, that is no longer hostile toward him. And this is the work of God. This is what it means to come to salvation, is that God gives you a new heart toward him. He writes upon your heart his law, his very character, his very nature. He gives to you his spirit. You are able to call him your God, and he is not ashamed to call you his son. You enter into a new relationship, and you arrive at that point, and we're going to talk about it a little further, but just in case I lose you before then, and you don't know Jesus, you arrive at that point by faith, not by attending church and enduring me speaking, but you come to true salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for your redemption. A new heart toward God is accompanied by a new heart toward one another. Again, it is always in that order. When we love God, truly, genuinely love God as one who is born of God, it will always translate in our love toward one another, especially toward those who are of the household of faith. So to love God whom you have not seen, while hating your brother whom you have seen, is incongruent to being born of God. Now, here's the kicker, I, I think, and, and John makes a transition here. It's a subtle transition, but I think it's an important transition, because when we get to verse number 21, if it is true that if you, are, if you are born of God and you have a love for God and it should be the natural outflow of who you are that you love one another, then why is verse 21 necessary? Why does God have to command that we love one another if we're going to do it anyway? And it may not cause a trouble in your head. It did mine, so you're going to have to endure with my reasoning through it. But, but we've, we've been given a new heart to love God and to love one another, and, and why do we need that command to do it? 
And I believe there are at least two reasons for this, and, and I think they relate the one to the, to the other. The first reason God commands of us what should flow out of our new birth is because our flesh still continues to work within, within us to do as it pleases. We still continue to wrestle with the old man. At least I do, and Paul does. I'm assuming you do as well. There isn't any man who has ever come to a true saving faith in Jesus Christ who has ceased from sin. Now, we may sin less, but we, don't, we are not sinless. We may despise the very sin that we commit, but the next day we may do it again. We may be absolutely frustrated with our own selves, but we still wrestle with it. It is still there. We, we still wrestle with our old, old flesh. And so God commands us, um, that commands us so that we might know what pleases him. And again, we're going to return to that again in just a minute. But Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 that of, of his own self, he says, I delight in the law of God. And that's in my inner man, in my inner being, Paul says. But I see in my members, that is in my, my body, there's another law that seems to be waging war against the law of my mind. And it makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. But there's a second reason that God commands of us what should flow out of our new birth is it is because his law teaches us how to please the Lord. And again, I, I've said we'll come back to that in just a minute, but in just a few minutes, but for, for the Christian, God's law is good and it instructs us in righteousness. And I think this is at the heart of John's reasoning in the following verses that we, find, we pick up in verse number one of chapter five. We have overcome the world and now under, and we are now under the gracious reign of our God. Um, let's read these first five verses and then we're going to back up and, and we're just going to take each of these verses um, individually and see if we can under, uh, unwrap John's thinking here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me tell you in advance that John comes full circle. If you notice in verse number one, he speaks of our belief in, the, in Jesus Christ, in believe that, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is, that he is the one that is born of God. And in the closing verse, verse number five, he speaks again, uh, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In other words, the central focus that he, is, he has here is, 
is understanding that everything changes when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He is the central focus of loving one another. He is the central focus of obedience to God's commands. He is the central focus of life. I love the song we sang this morning, Hallelujah, All I Have is Christ. And you want to add, and that is enough. There is no more that we need than Christ. John makes at least six assertions here, and we're going to move rapidly through these, but he makes six assertions in these verses to make, to make the point that we have overcome the world. So let's work through each of them to learn of our victory or our overcoming the world in Christ Jesus. In verse number one, the, the, in, in rapid fire, John makes three of these six assertions. Uh, in, in assertion. First, uh, he points out that faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ takes place in conjunction with being born of God. Now, that's a term that's used throughout, but especially in chapters 4 and 5, this term, born of God. But John is making clear here that faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that is, in the person that he is God in the flesh, that he is deity, he is God the Son, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. He, is the, he came into this, work, into this world, took on flesh, lived righteously in all matter of life, and then offered a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So we believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Faith in that person and the work of Jesus Christ takes place in conjunction with being born of God. In other words, they are one and the same. And the moment that you came to faith, you were born again. Or you might read it and might understand it, the moment that you were born again, you came to faith. What came first? Regeneration, being born again, or faith, belief? Well, the answer is yes. I personally, technically speaking, I believe that regeneration took place first, um, because Jesus said, unless you cannot see, Jesus said that you cannot see the, enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And unless one is born of the water of the Spirit, he cannot even enter into the kingdom of God. So I believe that God is, is, is the one that initiates our faith in that he sheds, like he, Paul, Paul words it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, he who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've, we've, we've used a term before that when, we, when God saved us, he first shone in our hearts what is truth, to truth about Jesus Christ, and he, he gave us his life so that we might believe. But the point John is making here is that faith in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ is a spiritual work that is in the conjunction with being born of God. You cannot attain spiritual standing, a right spiritual standing before God using physical means. Right, so if you are here this morning and you are seeking, if the Lord is working in your heart, that there is something missing in your life or that you need to be saved or you need the assurance of heaven, 
Let me, let me assure you that the Word of God teaches you that you cannot attain a right spiritual standing before God by what you do in, the, in your physical body. You cannot clean your life up enough to deserve God's salvation. You cannot attend church enough to attain salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. It is a work of God. It is a spiritual work that God gives His Spirit to you to illumine your eyes and your and your heart, the eyes of your heart, so that you can see. Christ for who he is, and see your sin for who you are, so that you would be brought to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Lord is working in your heart right now, know that it is by his grace that he's doing so, and you simply respond by calling out to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Trust him. And John is expressing this, that this is a spiritual work. It is a gift of God, and you, don't, you did not get here. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you did not get there on your own. In fact, the 18th century pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards is credited to saying, credited to saying your, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. The second assertion that, that John makes is that regeneration provides a new heart that loves the Father. Again, verse number one, again, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father, that is an implication. Everyone who loves the Father, everyone who, is, everyone who believes, it, believes in Jesus, everyone who has been born of God, loves the Father. Faith in Jesus Christ means that you have been born of God, which means that you have, now, you have now been given the capacity and the desire to love God the Father. The third assertion that John makes here is that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of the Father, or born of God. Right? Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So John's flow of thought is predictable here, but it's very important. Faith in Jesus Christ indicates a new birth, which brings a genuine love for the Father, which then leads to genuine love for all others who too have been born of Him. We are fellow heirs with one another. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We are children of God together. We have all been saved. We are all beggars who have been given life by our God. Now, when we move to verse number three, John gives to us a fourth assertion, that loving the children of God coincides with loving God and obeying his commandments. Notice the change that he makes here. And, and, and I, I, I ask that you, you stay with me in, in thinking through this. I don't, I don't want it to be muddied in, in, in what he's trying to get across, but in verse number three, he says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I said when we were in chapter four, and even up till now, that the entire mood in which John was writing this passage of scripture was not in an imperative mood. It was not in command mode. John was not saying, you better love one another. It's actually been in, a, in what, what, is, what is called a subjunctive mood, which means it's an invitation 
It is a suggestion. You are born of God, so this is how you ought to behave. It's so, kind of like Gail used to tell his kids when they left, left, left the house. Remember who you belong to. That's a subductive mood, mood by the way, Gail. Um, it, you, you are suggesting your kids, hey, remember who you belong to. And the idea that John has here is, is this is who you ought to be because this is how you ought to behave because this is who you are. But now he moves on to a command mode. This is an imperative mood. This is the command from God. And it's not a new command. It's a command that you heard from the beginning. It's in the Old Testament law. And so it's changing here. So now it becomes legalistic in independent fundamental Bible-believing Baptist churches terminology. Legalistic. Here's all these rules. And this is what he talks about. He's talking about the law. It, it's, 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 it, it is loving the children of God coincides with loving God and obeying his commandments. The one cannot be true without the other. To obey God's commandments is to love the children of God. And loving the children of God is obeying God's commandments. And I think there's two passages of scriptures that come to mind here, and I'd like you to turn there with me. It, the first is in found in, is John, John chapter 14. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 15. And um, this, is the, this is the chapter... Uh, where Jesus is alone with his disciples just hours before his arrest and then his crucifixion. Now, chapter 13 was when they had the Last Supper. He washed their feet. Um, chapter 15, he, are, he, he speaks about the vine and the branches. But chapter 14 is where it begins that I'm going to my father's house to prepare. In my, my father's are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. But then he comes down and he talks to them about leaving. And they are concerned. And he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to the interaction that they have between each other. And Jesus is speaking beginning in verse number 15. And he makes this bold statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we have to be careful on how we read that. I believe that he is to be read that as an outflow of your love for God, you will keep his commandments. It's not a, a, it's not a, um, a line in the sand that says, you better, love, you better keep my commandments, otherwise you don't love me. It's not like the Barbara Streisand song, you don't send me flowers anymore or whatever. You know, here's, here's my proof, you love me by sending me flowers. It's not that idea. The idea is that, that a genuine Heart change brings about obedience, loving obedience. There's a, there's a change in our understanding of, of God's commands. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse number 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Now, John, who wrote the letter that we're studying, he uses the same terminology. And he's speaking of the spirit of truth that has been given to us by the Father and by the Son. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Uh, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. 
And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 21, again, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not not a scared, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him again, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I don't know if you if you noticed that, but I would call your attention to the fact that he just spoke of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will come and make their abode within us. How astounding is that? God has chosen to come into this world and to make his abode in this jar of clay and in the body of Christ. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The second passage is in, in Matthew chapter 22. If you would turn there as well. Beginning in verse number 34, I'm going to begin reading even as you make your way there. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, who was a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's go back to our passage of scripture in verse number four, in chapter five, verse number four. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Here's the fifth assertion that John makes. God's commandments are not burdensome because in your new birth, you have overcome the world. Let's think about this for a little bit. To, to, to overcome the world means that you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So the saint, the Christian, no longer follows the course of this world. He no longer follows the prince of the power of the air. He is no longer a son of disobedience. In addition, he has been delivered from the tyranny of the passions of his flesh that carries out its own desires of the body and of the mind. God's commandments are burdensome only to one whose mind is set on the flesh and is hostile to God because it cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, The Christian has overcome the world in that he has been delivered from that world altogether. You are no longer of this world, is what John is saying. You are of a new nation, a new people. You are a holy nation unto God. You've been set apart 
to God as you continue to live in this world. That's what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, that God would sanctify us with his truth. He would set us apart from this world. We are set apart by his word because his word is truth. And because he said we are in this world, but we are not of this world. I still remember um, fishing, deep sea fishing with my dad. He was a tiny boat, but he made his three sons to join him. And I remember getting stranded in the middle of this, on the northern tip of, of the island of Oahu, where the roughest seas were, but the best fish was. That's where my dad wanted to be. And our engine died out, got literally got flooded out by the ocean waves, literally got shorted out. And we sat there for several hours, and we were fine, as long as the boat was in the water. But when the water was coming up above us and ending up inside the boat, we knew we needed to call for help. That's how long it took my dad to get to call for help. Actually, we all got seasick. And he was fine, but as soon as he got sick, he called for help. <laughs> but that's the idea of where we are in, as, as Christians. John is teaching us and telling us that we no longer are of this world. Therefore, because we have been transferred from the domain of darkness, under which we were under the authority and the rule of Satan and this present world system... We have been delivered from that bondage, and we have been placed into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Now, that does not mean that we have liberty to live unto our own selves. It means that we have a new king. We have a new commander-in-chief. And he is a good king. He is a good commander-in-chief. And he is a wise one. And he do, all that he does is for our good, ultimately for his glory. Therefore, God's commandments are not burdensome to the saint because he has overcome the world. Because he had been given a new heart that loves God. And because of this, the saint's relationship to the law entirely is changed. The, God, the, God, the believer's relationship to the law, to God's commandments, have changed entirely. And we, we see this law that is given to us, and we want to sometimes, as people who live in the age of grace, we want to throw out God's law, but we understand that the law has a purpose. In fact, the law reflects the very nature of our God, and in one of the uses of the law is that it's a mirror to reveal to us the God's the, 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 the perfect righteousness of God, and even more so, the, the mirror of God reveals Reveals even worse, it illumines our own sinfulness. That's what the law does. Even in the Old Testament, when God gave his law to the people of God, it was not to bring salvation. It was to, it was to bring them to understand that they needed a salvation. And that's what the law does for us. You look at that holy law of God, you look at the righteousness of Christ, and you come to recognize your desperate need for a Savior. That law condemns. That law kills. That's its purpose. Not to crush you down, but to drive you to Christ. That's what brings salvation. If you don't see yourself as lost, then you don't see yourself in need of a Savior. If you don't see the reality of who you are, then you don't drive, you are not driven to what God has provided as a remedy. The second purpose of the law is that it restrains evil. 
right? It, it, it cannot change human hearts, right? We, we appreciate legislation of the law. I'm thankful for the most part for laws, maybe not necessarily speed limit laws, but we, we, we like laws. That's what keeps people out of our homes, out of our cars, the, the fear of the law. The, the law of God is, is, is a restraint, some, some sort of a, a restraint on, on evil. But the third purpose of the law is to reveal what is pleasing to God. It, it, it is a picture, it is a, it is a picture of who God is. And as born-again children of God, the law enlightens us as to what is pleasing to our Father. This is, it is He that we, we seek to serve. It is He that we seek to please. The Christian delights in the law of, the law, law of God himself. It, it, um, it, it, um, Jesus said, if, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the, high, the highest function of the law is, is, is to serve as an instrument for the people of God to give him honor and glory. That by, by one writer I read said, by studying and meditating on the law of God. And, and let me just add this. We're not just talking about the first five books of the Bible. We're talking about the word of God, the revealed word of God. The study and meditating on the word of God, when we study that, we attend the school of righteousness. It teaches us what pleases the Lord. Now, our redemption is from the curse of God's law, but it's not from our duty to the law. And here is the law, that we love one another. Last one. Sixth assertion, verse number five. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The sixth assertion is that the victory that comes what overcomes the world is our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He comes full circle, pointing out the fact that Jesus Christ has made every change in us that is necessary for a right standing before God. Our faith. If we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and it, gives, it is the evidence that we are born of God. If we are born of God, then God has given us a heart that loves him. And a heart that loves him will love his people. And a heart that loves him will love his law and will love his word. Well, may that be a reality in your life, that you love one another and that you love one another well by the grace of God. Serve one another. Be a bond servant. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Love the word of God. The psalmist writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Oh, how I love thy law. Thank you, Father, for your word, your revealed word, your law.
that reveals to us what we could not know about you. Thank you, Father, for your living word that was sent into this world that we might know you, the one true God, and the one whom you have sent. Thank you, Father, for brothers and sisters in Christ, for the body of Christ and the privilege of knowing one another and of loving one another, of serving one another. As we dismiss now, Lord, we pray that even in our conversation as we walk out this building or as we hang around here, that our conversation and our communication with one another will be such that it would provoke one another to love and to good works as we love well. In Jesus' name, amen.